0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. I heard, without a doubt, the weirdest Christmas story I've ever heard this week. So, we're going to back up to 300 AD, okay? And... there was a gentleman who was kind of wandering around the known earth at that point named Arius. And Arius was preaching that Jesus was not fully man and not fully God, okay? And in the Council of Nicaea, which is uh, where we develop what we call the Nicene Creed, and that's uh, essentially, that's the the church's statement of faith. Um, It's a pretty, uh, pretty blanket statement um, for the belief of the church. And so in, at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, Arius is, uh, ha- has been around preaching against the fact that Jesus was God and man. Couldn't be both. And uh, so he, he's at the Council of Nicaea and he's standing on a chair in the middle of all of these archbishops and theologians and historians. And he's just, at the top of his lungs, just, talking against the deity of Christ. And so in the crowd was a bishop named Saint Nicholas, which is where we get Santa Claus. So Saint Nicholas was in the audience and after Arius had continued to stand on his chair and preach against the deity of Christ, he gets up out of his chair, Saint Nicholas, walks up to Arius in front of a multitude of people, grabs him by the beard and punches him in the face, and then leaves. (laughs) That was the coolest story about St. Nicholas I'd ever heard. And, and so, there's a, I saw like a little caption, and it said, St. Uh, Nicholas, I, I bring presents and punch heretics, and I'm all out of presents. So, if you don't think that's funny, there's something wrong with your sense of humor, because I think that's really funny. <laughs> I do know funny, and that's funny. So, today, we're going to be talking about the humanity of Jesus. That he actually was a dude. And the last two weeks, so two weeks ago, Randy talked about the fact that at the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, after that, well, up until that point, God had been talking to his people, the Israelites, through prophets, through the word, through interactions, and then there's radio silence. So 400 years, four, so that's, what was that, 400 it's like 1,600 something. That's was a long time ago. So 400 years from the end of Malachi to the birth of Christ, God doesn't speak. And so there's this growing tension amongst his people like where did he go, what happened, what did we do? And so there's a tension growing in the whole Israelite camp. Where is God? He promised a Savior, where is he? And so there's this... Uh, the song goes, in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. Um, and then it goes on to say that a new and glorious morn. And so that's what it felt like, that, that when Jesus came onto the scene, that it erupted throughout his people that he had finally come. Last week, Dale talked about the virgin birth. And number one, why it had to be a virgin, and number two, that it was in fact a virgin birth. Um, and so today we're gonna Any tips on how to fix this? I know. Okay, let me see this right here. I can't. You guys have weird ears. Okay, so we're going to roll with that. So the expectation for today is that we're going to look at, and we're just going to ask a few questions, a few questions that I know I've had over my time um, in church, And a few questions that I know some of my friends and family have had on, what do you mean when you say Jesus became flesh? So let me me pray for us, and then we can spend a few minutes together, okay? Uh, Christ, I'm thankful this morning that it is Sunday to stop raining, Lord, that uh, all week we have scattered amongst our jobs and our families and our friends, and that today, as Believers, we get to gather and be refreshed and sit under your word. I pray that I would serve your people well this morning, that uh, they would hear the beautiful, beautiful story of you coming down and becoming one of us. Uh, Lord, it is a really, really neat thing. It's been neat for me this week to be reminded of that and to kind of think on that. So I pray that you would. Come and meet with us in our short time together. Through Jesus, I pray, amen. So the, the first question that I was talking with somebody yesterday, I said, well, what is the incarnation? So the incarnation, which is Jesus coming flesh, it literally means, so all of us have been to Mexican restaurants, and that's, that's really the only way I knew what carne meant. It means meat, you know, chili cone carne, or whatever, whatever it is. Without looking it up in the dictionary, I'm being honest, that's the only way I knew what carne was. So it is in fact meat, I've confirmed that. So carne, which is one of the root words of incarnation, means meat, so it literally means that Jesus came down as meat, or as flesh. That's what the incarnation means, is that Jesus came as flesh. So let's turn to, and I think we're gonna have it on the screen, John chapter one, on how we know this even happened, okay? So John chapter one, Verse 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and that's an uppercase word, so it's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Going down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, a lot of questions kind of arise in my mind when I think about what does that mean that Jesus became a man? Okay, if if that's what incarnation means, Jesus becoming flesh, there are a 100 other questions that, okay, what was he before? When did it happen? I mean, tons of different questions, and so hopefully we're gonna just talk about a few of those. Um, So, biblically speaking, In eternity past before the world was created, Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit dwelt in perfect community with one another, called the Trinity. They were in perfect harmony and relationship with one another. They created what we know as Earth and the galaxies and the cosmos. Then they created Adam and Eve. Adam, at that point in time, had a glorified, Sinless body, meaning it was a body without sin. Once sin entered through the fall, Adam and Eve became finite, sinful human beings. Jesus, in eternity past, before he came as a child, was the same way. Was a glorified body in perfect relationship with God the Trinity. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, which means that God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus have determined in eternity past, without asking us, which is a good thing, that the best way to display the glory of God is going to be through the physical representation of Jesus. So Jesus Christ is the only physical representation of the triune God, okay? So w- once, he, once he comes, he then is no longer in his glorified heavenly body. He took on flesh. And so for, for me, the, the next question that, that I ask is, okay, if he came as flesh, well, how did he come? H- how did that whole thing work? Jesus came down from heaven, and the Bible speaks pretty clearly that he was, as we've seen, born of a virgin, born in the town of Bethlehem, in a small community, an inn. At that moment in time, when Jesus is birthed, he is simultaneously 100% God and 100% man. And I am aware that that equals 200%. But that's what happened. And so, don't take my word for it. Let's look at the Bible. Philippians 2.7, and you don't have to turn there. It says that he emptied himself being born in the likeness of men. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ stepped down from his throne as ruler and reigner of all created order. And he took on flesh. That doesn't mean he just like zipped on a a suit and all of a sudden he's got flesh. It means that he embraced every single human quality and characteristic that we have except sin. He laid aside his divine attributes, which means he was fully God, always and then he became fully man on top of already being fully God. That, the, the theological terms or the term used in the church is called the hypostatic union, which is the, some smart guy said that's the only way we can understand it is by putting a long word on it, that he's, how could he be 200% of something? And so as we see in Philippians 2, 7, he emptied himself and became one of us. So Jesus Christ embraced every single quality that we have minus sin while still maintaining his divine attributes. And we're gonna get to why that's good news. So don't get lost in the words, okay? So I wanna particularly talk about a time period that we don't talk about much in the church. You know, we hear a lot about the birth of Christ. We hear a lot about his ministry from age 30 to 33, where he is preaching and teaching. He uh, gathered his disciples. He was ultimately um, crucified, buried, and resurrected. We hear a lot about that, but what we don't hear a lot about is from ages 12 to 30. At age 12, we see Jesus in the temple, and then we really don't see anything until age 30. The, The last verse we have on Jesus before he busts onto the scene is Luke 2.52, and it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. And then we see him again at age 30. But I would have you consider this morning that from age 12 to 30 is just as important in us shaping and understanding our view of Jesus as his birth and his ministry. Because so often, and this, this, is, this is a true story. This week I um, was doing some just research on what Jewish men look like and it weirded me out a little bit. I don't know why, I, this is true. I really think of Jesus as like 6'2", buff, probably blonde hair, blue eyes. I know that's wrong, I really do. But that's like my Disney World, uh, uh, you know, Pixar movie version of the Ten Commandments and Jesus but that's just not true, and so it's, it's good for us to be reminded biblically of who Jesus was and who he wasn't, because so often we'll put in our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own emotions on, on who Jesus was or, or, or what he did, or, and so it's important this morning that we understand the humanity and the actual fleshliness that Jesus embraced. So, four particular points that I want to talk about showing Jesus' humanity. The first was that he was a man. He actually was a man. He had armpits and, and eye sockets and bowel movements and uh, pimples. I mean, he, everything that we have and, and felt and, and think is the same thing. Isaiah 53, verse 2 says that he had no beauty or majesty or form about him that we should be attracted to him. He was a normal dude. He was a normal-looking dude, so historically speaking, he wouldn't have been 6'2", which messes with me, but anyway. He had every kind of interaction and thought and physical attribute that, that we have. The second point is that Jesus had a job. We think about the fact that he was a carpenter and that doesn't mean that he sat in a woodworking shop by himself and just made things. That's, that's not what the Greek word for carpenter means. The word there is tekton, which actually, and I'll, I'll just read the definition, it means, they told me the last time they brought up water is there, you know like when you ask somebody if they need gum and you really want them to take the gum? They, they offered me water last time because they, they said I had some white spit on my mouth. And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. And like, no, you need the water. So I'm not sure if that's what it is. Let me get a little white there. Okay. So back to what we're talking about is that, that Jesus had a job. And we see that in, in Mark chapter 6. <laughs> The word tecton for carpenter means that he would have worked in timber, setting up framework of houses, roofing, windows, and doors. He was, a, he was a construction worker, he was a builder, a handyman. He built things, made things. He would have worked very closely with stonemasons. So he would have been familiar with how to be a, a brick mason and stonemason. So he wasn't just a carpenter. He, He worked outdoors. He would have had calloused hands. He did hard, physical labor. And interesting enough, Jesus spent six times longer working a job, dealing with a family, and providing for his brothers and sisters than he did specifically preaching the gospel. So if Jesus deems it, important enough to spend six times longer doing the activities that we actually do, get up and go to work, have a family, have a sister who drives you nuts. And he did, he had brother and we're gonna get there. I think it's pretty important. So the third point as to why Jesus was actually human is that he had a family. In Matthew chapter 13, It specifically names four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and it says, and his sisters as well. So, that we know of, he had at least four brothers and some sisters, plus himself. That's a big family. And you think about, sometimes for me, I I have uh, two twin brothers that are younger than me and an older half-brother, and obviously a mom and a dad, Sometimes like if, if, I, if I'm having a tough time with one of my brothers or whatever that is, I, I immediately think that I'm the only one who's ever gone through this ever in the history of mankind that nobody else knows what it's like to have an annoying younger brother, ever. Well, Jesus did. It, Jesus knew what it was like to have awkward and weird and, and difficult family dynamics. Um, and the fourth point, as we keep moving, is that Jesus had emotions. Um, A popular verse is that Jesus wept, right? Well, what was he weeping for? He was weeping because his friend, Lazarus, had just died. And he was crying uncontrollably at the loss of a friend. Isaiah 53 says that he was familiar with grief and sorrow. So he would have known what it was like to lose friends, lose family. Be rejected. Have a friend that doesn't want to play with you in the sandbox anymore. He is familiar with all of our ways. He embraced every single emotion and anxiety that we feel, the differences, in how he dealt with those. So, real quickly, Jesus was definitely a man. He had a job, he had a family, and he had emotions. The next thought that comes to my mind is if, if, if I know how he came, which is as a man, and I know that he came based off of the fact that John 1 tells me that there was an incarnation. My, my mind, and maybe I'm the only one, I want to know why he came. Why did Jesus come? And the Bible's pretty clear about it. Colossians 2.9 shows us that the fullness of deity dwells in him. And John 1, as we saw earlier, said that he was flesh. So if, if this God-man, 100% God and 100% man, came down and dwelt among us, he literally became one of us, why did he come? And he came on a rescue mission. Because of the fall of mankind in the Garden of of Eden, things got flipped upside down. And we needed a Savior. The Old Covenant or the Old Testament law says that the only way to God is to obey the law. Jesus came down as flesh because if if you think about if you're if you if you have a dog and your dog disobeys you right well your your husband can't take the punishment for your dog disobeying that makes no sense so only a human could substitute for human life so if humans drop the ball if we as men and women brought sin into the world. The only way that our our sin could be paid for is by another human. And so Jesus came down as that human. On the flip side of that, if our sin creates the, the wrath of God, it is not possible for a man or a woman to take the wrath of God and still survive. So it took a human for a human. And it took God to, a, to be able to take God's wrath and still survive. That's why it took a God-man for us to be redeemed. Is because, well, we just said why no point in being redundant Galatians 4:4 4, 4 says that he came to redeem those who were subject to the law or the old covenant and then down in Hebrews 2:14 it says that he came so that death would have power over flesh no more so he said okay i'll come down and play by the rules of the law and the Old Testament. I will defeat them, fulfill them, and then I'm establishing a new way of doing things. And that's, what, that's how we get the new covenant. So why did Jesus come? He came to redeem the old covenant, or the, the, the law and the rules that we were under to establish a new way of doing things. And that new way runs specifically and exclusively through him and th- this morning i want us to know leave knowing what the incarnation is so what it, what jesus coming is how he came why he came but the the real the real resonating point in my heart is why is it good news bad news that he came because it's one or the other it's I've never heard something that had any kind of meaning to it and didn't immediately resonate with okay that's either good news or bad news you know, hey my wife got into a car accident okay that's bad news that's not no news that's bad news so either it's good news or it's bad news Hebrews 4:15, and I'm going to flip there reminds us of why Jesus coming is good news. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So there's two specific reasons why Jesus coming as a man is good news. The first is because we have an incredibly intimate God. We have one that is familiar with all of our ways and all of his ways. Randy and I were talking on on Friday you think about that. If, if, God, if Jesus was in a glorified body in perfect harmony and com- community with himself, he then comes down as a child and he experienced things for the first time that the creator of the world had never experienced. He got hungry. He, he had to burp. Th- th- those were things that he was not familiar with. And so we have a God who is incredibly familiar with the anxiety we feel about not getting a job or the anxiousness we feel about having an argument with a spouse. Well, He didn't know the spouse but he watched his mom and dad interact. He is super familiar and intimate and he's relatable. He's not a God who who sits on a throne that rules with lightning bolts and hammers. He, He came down to dwell among us so that he could know us and we could know him. Colossians 1.16 says that all things were created through him, by him, and for him. And that includes us. And the second reason why it's really good news that Jesus came is that there is only one way to life, fulfillment, satisfaction, purpose, and God. And that is through Jesus Christ. And so he he threw down the gauntlet and said, I am the only bridge to peace and joy and a relationship with God. And that's good news. We don't have to wonder why are we here, What were we created for? Jesus makes that undeniably clear that we were here to to know him and make him known. And so this morning, if you are familiar with Jesus and, and you do know him, then I hope that today, tomorrow, this season, this Advent season, but more specifically, the rest of your time in relationship with Jesus on this earth is spent celebrating the weightiness and the excitement of what it means that Jesus became a man. And for those of you this morning, or maybe there's no one in here, maybe somebody will listen to this, who don't know Jesus, I I I plead with you to trust in and on the humanity, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because there is no other way. And so this morning, there is hope for you if you don't know him, because life is only found in the God-man Jesus, and so a, a, as we as we wrap up, I, I'm remind. I was reminded of a story. So a, a couple months ago, I was on a business meeting, and I had set a, a meeting with a um, president of a university, and my partner and I went. And this was down in Charleston, and we were excited. We were we, were, we were talking. This is a big meeting for us, and we get to the we get to the university and we walk in the door, and his assistant comes out and says, oh sorry, Dr. Hunter was busy today. I'll be showing you around, answering any questions, talking with you about things. And right then, I knew where I stood. I knew how important I was not to Dr. Hunter, because he sent somebody else. We had a meeting, he agreed to meet with us, and he didn't. And the same thing applies how important we are to Jesus Christ because he didn't send somebody else. He didn't send a representative to go, go, go get familiar with my people and then come back and tell me how they are. Tell me what do you mean when you get into a fight that you, you feel anxious and frustrated. He went down and dwelt among us. So we, we got the real deal because we were that important to Jesus. So as as we close, I hope you do one of two things. Either join with me in celebrating that Jesus Christ is worthy of far more than we could ever bring to the table. Or, you would for the first time trust on the worthiness of Jesus Christ. So pray with me and we'll enter into a time of uh, some reflection and worship. Jesus, I'm, I'm thankful that your word explicitly shows that you cried, that you laughed, that you ate, that you drank, that you had friends, that you had a job. And I'm thankful that it shows that you were familiar with all of our ways. And that you had a purpose behind that. And that purpose was that we would know you and that you would know us more intimately. So I am thankful this morning and I pray that as we think throughout the 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 holiday season as it's coming to an end here in the next week or two that we would remember that we have a real Savior with real hands real feet real hair a real heart and we can have a real relationship so I pray that you would draw your people to yourself and that we would leave here loving and treasuring what you did for us more deeply. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.